Take your Bibles tonight. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. We are studying what the Holy Ghost inspired Paul to say to the church in Philippi. We'll begin tonight by reading verses 1 through 8. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things, but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Amen. Amen. Remember from verse 1 last week, we saw how there's nothing wrong with hearing the same truths over and over again. I've been in church for 50 years, and I've, I've heard several sermons from Philippians 3 It's okay. It's okay to hear more. Never grow tired of hearing the good news of Christ. Stay with the old stuff. Stay with that which the Bible calls truth. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. Jeremiah 6.16 Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. I left out the end of that verse, but it's on my heart, so let me just go ahead and tell you what it says after that is. But ye would not. There's trouble when we don't stick with the old stuff. Keep reading the same Bible. Keep hearing the same messages. And and can I say, keep attending the same church. Definitely the same type of church. I know people move. I'm only teasing. But seriously, stay here. (laughs) You're going to hear similar messages throughout your life. That's not a bad thing. You'll hear similar messages because we're of one spirit. At the conference this year, Brother Dean Herring was the keynote speaker again. And he preached the Plan B message. He preached here the time he was with us. Same message. Came out different. Same message. Still loved it. Don't grow tired of hearing the same messages. Truth doesn't change. We just keep presenting the same truth. A lost person will come to you and they'll have various theological questions that they want answers to, but they don't even know Christ. So don't debate whether or not somebody's born this way or that way. Amen. Why do y'all use the King James? Why do you go to a Baptist church? Hey, do you know Christ as your Savior? You keep pressing that truth. That's what's important. Do you know Christ as your Savior? Listen, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. 
And if a person doesn't know Christ, there's no sense in even going down the debate. I learned this the hard way. I'm telling you from experience. Don't deviate. That is a tactic of the enemy to keep the focus off of that person's need for Christ. And we fall for it often because we think, well, we're doing a good thing because we're telling them about why we use the King James. You think they really care why we use They're not reading anything. You understand what I'm saying? You keep pressing their personal need for Christ. Don't deviate. Ye must be born again. And that's what you got to do. I, you've heard the story, I'm sure, George Whitfield preached on the old world in the new world and back there in the 1700s and kept preaching, you must be born again until somebody said, why do you keep preaching on you must be born again? And he said, because, sir, you must be born again. We just keep giving it. Keep repeating it. Now, there are several themes we could hang on this book. We talked about that when we introduced it. One of them, perhaps the most common, is that of joy. We see in verses 1 through 3, we saw this last week, how we are to joy and to rejoice. Um, But we ought to rejoice in the Lord in this context here because of what He has done for us. Paul makes it clear he has no confidence in his flesh. And so he, he says we ought to be glorying in the fact that Jesus did it all. He says, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. And what he's saying is beware of those who add to the simple faith in Christ alone. There were Judaizers in that day that would come along and say, if you want to know Christ more fully, if you want to be saved, you've got to be circumcised. And so this was spreading all over the place. You see that in in a lot of Paul's letters, a warning about that and and the persecution he took from that crowd. And so we've got to be careful mixing with those who are adding to Christ's salvation because we have groups today that are doing the exact same thing. There are those that will tell you you have to be baptized in order to be saved. Those that have to go through a church to be saved. Those who have to add works to their salvation in order to be saved. Maybe that you need to speak in an unknown tongue as an evidence that you have been saved. And we tend in our day to go out of our way not to be offensive. And, and you know my heart. I've... I've I say repeatedly, we don't have to beat people over the head. We don't have to be ugly. We don't have to be abrasive. But we go out of our way to not offend. We kind of tiptoe around trying not to mention that you're an evil worker. That's what Paul said. We don't want to offend. You know, Paul, he didn't mess around. People today want to go out of the way to try to explain, well, they're not really that bad. You know, well, at least the Mormons, they're, they're, they're immoral people. Well, at least this, at least that. And Paul wasn't very PC. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. If there was one area Paul knew I'm not messing around with is how you make your way to God. And that's through Christ alone. And anybody who comes along and says there's another way, Paul says you better beware. He calls them evil workers. Paul, he wasn't uh, very tolerant to those who muddied the waters of salvation. He came right out and just called them what they were. You're evil workers. Jesus did the same thing. You scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. You shut up the kingdom of heaven and you're not going in yourself. Paul said, beware. Paul didn't share the platform with them. He didn't say, well, we can still yoke up with them because after all, they do have some good qualities. I know I'm putting on my independent fundamental Baptist face tonight, but that's all right. We'll get through it. 
Paul drew the line early on, and he drew it clearly. He didn't wait for other theological debates to come up before he said, okay, that's it. Now we've got to break fellowship. No, he said, if you don't know how to come to to God through Christ, we're not even going to entertain it. That's what he said to the Galatians. He said over in Galatians 2.5, to whom we gave place by subjection. No, not for an hour. Talking about those Judaizers who said you had to be circumcised. He said, we didn't even give them an hour of time. Why? That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. He drew a very clear line. If a group didn't have the basics of salvation down, then he wouldn't go forward together with them. In other words, Paul wasn't yielding to them in any way. He was politically incorrect. He would would be considered closed-minded today. Is everybody okay? He'd be called insensitive. Every year when school starts back up, this is fresh in my mind because I just got the email a couple weeks ago. I get an invite every year to go attend the prayer walk over at Rapid City Christian Schools. It's one of these events where any number of faiths show up and they all want you to walk around and saturate the campus with prayer. And I just can't get on board with it. I cannot have a clear conscience with God when I know that in the reply to that invitation is the Diocese of Rapid City Uh, this bishop fellow that's going to be there. Listen, I am not walking around saturating something in prayer with a Catholic who's praying to Mary. I cannot yoke up with that. And whoever groups will be there. Now, before you roll your eyes at that stand and you think, boy, you're so narrow-minded, let me ask you, do you honestly think the Apostle Paul would yoke up with that? Do you really think Jesus Christ would say, it's okay? Oh, but we don't want to be offensive. Listen, I wasn't ugly. I didn't say anything to anybody. I just didn't show up. Which is convenient because I wouldn't want to anyway. But at least now i got an excuse. Amen. I'll tell you what Jesus would say. He'd say, woe unto you hypocrites. Maybe you're one who doesn't understand what the big deal is tonight. Let me try to be a help to you. The way of God's salvation is so narrow that He had to die for us. He said, you can't work your way. He said, you can't pray to Mary your way or any other dead saint. He said, you couldn't be baptized enough. You couldn't be in a church enough. God said, look, if you want to come to me, you've got to go through the blood, and the only way you're going to do that is by Christ on the cross. And anything you add to that, it's out of bounds. Jesus Christ was literally tortured when He laid down His life, making the only way possible to God. That's it. And it blows my mind that people will say there's other ways. If there's other ways, then why did God have to die? It doesn't make any sense. Why would Jesus Christ come to this earth, live a sinless life, die in our place if there was some other way to get to heaven? Salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. Now, knowing how much God gave to make salvation possible, do you honestly think He winks at those who pervert the sufficiency of Christ and His blood by adding any type of work to salvation. 
No way. No way. If Jesus were walking the earth, do you really think He would advocate attending prayer meetings or Bible studies together with those who add circumcision or works or baptism or church membership or tongues? Do you really think He would be on board with that? Listen, we've had people leave our church over this. I'm telling you, my wife can back me up. Preacher, how come you never advertise this? I always give you this announcement to make. Because and I have to tell them, I'm not going to yoke up with those people that believe you have to speak in an unknown tongue in order to prove your salvation. I'm not going to go along with those who say you have to be baptized to be born again. No, 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 you don't understand. It's just a ladies' meeting and we're all just trying to be better women. You better get, you better get first base right. I don't want to take spiritual advice from somebody that doesn't even know how to get to, to God. Well, boy, I feel like preaching... Did I get to preach here recently? Did I? I can't remember. Maybe it's because I was at that conference and now I'm all fired up. Amen. If Jesus wouldn't do it, then why would we? And so Paul said, beware of those who don't hold to a pure doctrine of salvation. But then he said in verse 3, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. All those other things that I've been talking about as being evil works are things that are added. They are works of the flesh. And that's where people are putting their confidence in. Not in Christ alone. Christ plus. The Judaizers in that day would have said, that's great that you know Christ, but do you want to know Him more deeply? Listen, you get all you need when you're saved. God takes up residence in the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, beware. Now, why can we rejoice in Christ? Because we have learned to have no confidence in the flesh. Listen, if you've come to Christ the way the Bible says, you've learned, as for me and my flesh, our door is no good thing. And I can't earn my way to God, and I can't be good enough, and it doesn't matter that I'm in a good church. It doesn't matter that I've been baptized by immersion and Paul says, no, we have no confidence in the flesh. We we know that no amount of works that we do can merit God's salvation. And we rejoice in that because we know Christ paid it all. All to Him I owe. And we glory in this as a result. Galatians 6, 14 and 15 says, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. But he says this, a new creature. you got to be a new creature. Whoop. All right, that was all recap. That took a little bit longer. I I put in some new stuff in there, amen? All right, let's move on to verses 4 through 6 now. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. That's quite a resume. After stating that we have no confidence in our flesh, Paul uses his past life as an example of how he could, if he chose to, boast in his flesh. His emphasis... Is if and get this, his emphasis is if the flesh could save anybody, 
it would have saved me. If, if anybody could say that I'm saved because of what I've done, it's me. That's what Saul, that's what Paul is saying when he was Saul. Look at what he says here. I mean, he's a prime candidate. A candidate. He says, we don't have confidence in the flesh, but I could. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. At least he wasn't shy about it. I've mentioned before, I believe that Paul knew he had an issue with pride. He said, lest I be lifted up above measure, God had sent a messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh to buffet me. Paul knew if, I, if, if anybody could be lifted up, it's me. And, and Paul here, just notice how stellar this is. He starts all the way back at his birth. He says, man, I was circumcised the eighth day. That was the requirement under the law. We see that with Christ. Circumcised the eighth day. From the beginning of his life, he was raised in the things of God. When it came to the keeping of the law, he could point all the way back to his birth. Why was he circumcised the eighth day? Because he was of the stock of Israel. Not only was he a child of Jacob. Listen, I think I told Brother Brock and Brother Long, this message tonight, I wish everybody could hear it. This is the message for Independent Fundamental Baptists on a Wednesday night. Don't tune me out. Don't act like you've heard it before. I want you to listen. This is for you. I know that. And, and Paul, he says, listen, not only was I a child of Jacob, but I could trace my lineage through Benjamin. He could go all the way back to the original 12 sons of Jacob. He says, I'm from Benjamin. That's where the temple stood. That's where Jerusalem was in the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was the tribe that never defected. They stayed with Judah when all the ten went the other way. He called himself an Hebrew of the Hebrews. Upon studying this phrase, it is believed that what is meant by this is that in every way possible, Paul was a Hebrew. By race, by religion, by education, by custom, by both parents being able to say that they were Hebrews. His lineage could be traced even to Abraham. We know from other passages that Paul was brought up, circumcised the eighth day, he had the right parents, and he was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel. Remember that? And if you were being taught to be a Pharisee in that day, you wanted to be at Gamaliel school. That's who you wanted to learn from. Secular history tells us that Gamaliel was the grandson of Hylio. He was the most renowned rabbi in Jewish history, Gamaliel's grandfather. Gamaliel's grandfather and father were both heads over the council. They were presidents, if you will, over the Sanhedrin. And perhaps Gamaliel may have held that position at one time. We don't know. Some people believe that. In Acts chapter 5, verse 34, it says, Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people. In other words, what this man said, people listened to. He was highly respected by the council. And when the apostles were being persecuted, it was Gamaliel who famously said after that, But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest happily ye found even, be found even to fight against God. And all the council agreed because Gamaliel was the man. He was a big deal. 
So for Paul to have this connection to Gamaliel was huge. And we know from Acts 23.6 that Paul was also the son of a Pharisee on top of that. Not only was I a Pharisee, my dad was a Pharisee. So when Paul says next, as touching the law of Pharisee, he had the right birth, he had the right upbringing, and he had the right education. All of the boxes in Paul's life were checked where they ought to be. Can you already tell where I'm starting to go with this message? He had it all. In Acts 26, 4 and 5, Paul said, My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, known know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify, that the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. These were the ones, the Pharisees were the ones who dotted every I, crossed every T. What does that sound like in our day? You picking up what I'm putting down? They're the ones that had the King James Bible. We know we got the right. We dot in our eyes and we're crossing our T's. Listen, the Pharisees didn't mess around. The Pharisees got up and said, you know what, we're not yoking up with that group. I'm not going to that prayer meeting because there's people that are Christians over there. The Pharisees did exactly what I did in introducing this sermon. Do you hear what I'm saying? They didn't mess around. We're not going there. We're not touching it. We're not even going to mingle with them. If we see them on the road, we're going to the other side because we're not even going to cross paths with them. That's how they rolled. They see me rolling. They hating. That was for Cindy to Garmo. Anyway. She works in the world. She gets it. They were all in in their religion. They loved to be seen of men because men noticed them. They loved the greetings because they were greeted. They loved the chief seats because they were given the chief seats. And I'm just saying they were a big deal because the people made them a big deal. To be a Pharisee in Jerusalem, to be in that sect, it said something about your status. No one doubted their devotion to their religion. Paul goes on to say about his fleshly efforts concerning zeal persecuting the church. The Pharisees were so zealous that they rounded up Christians in jail, testified against them before the council in hopes that they would be found guilty and put to death. We find Saul, who was the Apostle Paul before he was saved, over there in Acts chapter 1, consenting unto the death of Stephen, holding the coats. Maybe that was at the end of chapter 7, but we know at the beginning of chapter 8, he was persecuting the church. He was making havoc of the church. He persecuted Christians. Acts 9, verses 1 and 2, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Acts 22, 4 and 5, And I persecuted this way unto death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest doth bear me witness and all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. Acts 26, 9 through 11, I verily thought within myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. Being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even under strange cities. 
Finally, in verse 6, Paul says, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. The Pharisees were those who would put our Bible memorization to shame. They had way more of the Bible memorized than you probably ever will. And it wasn't just these little snippets. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him because you care upon him. It wasn't refrigerator verses. It's been said they had to memorize the first five books. I don't know if that's true. I've heard that, though. Paul was once in that group, which Jesus said in Matthew 5.20, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said they made the outside clean and that they indeed appeared beautiful. They looked the part, they acted the part, but of course Jesus went on to say they were dirty inside and they were dead. Paul had it all down correctly. Do you hear what I'm saying? He was a rising star in the Pharisees. His outward actions were flawless according to his religious edicts. He had the pedigree, the heritage. He was a Pharisee. He was zealous. He was outwardly blameless and righteous. Religiously, he had it all going for him. But would you notice what Paul says in verses 7 and 8? But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless... And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. I want you to get the weight of what Paul is saying here. Try to grasp. He is saying the entirety of his life before coming to Christ did nothing to help him know God. I did all of these things, and yet I didn't know Christ as my Savior. He says in in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Verse 8, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. You know what Paul is saying, church? And Man, I want you to get it. He's saying all of my upbringing, all of my schooling, All of my faithful practices didn't do anything to help me be right with God. I thought I was serving God. Come to find out, I wasn't. And all that he had in his flesh, all that confidence he could boast in, he still didn't have the knowledge of Christ. And all that he had could not help him win Christ. So he says it was all loss. He goes so far as to say, I do count them but dung. He had come to the realization that all of his check marks didn't amount to anything with Christ. How sobering. How humbling it would have been to admit this man that all of Christendom feared. How humbling to admit that he did everything outwardly according to the sect of the Pharisees, but he was no closer to God than when he began. Paul had learned that his confidence didn't lie within his faithful track record of religious observances. Paul, as a Pharisee, would have been here on Wednesday night. But he learned that his confidence was only to be found in Christ alone and His righteousness. And this lesson is still for us today. Try as you may in the power of your flesh to have a relationship with God, it will never work. 
You cannot know God in His Christ through your fleshly efforts. We must all learn to come to the place where we swallow our pride and admit salvation has nothing to do with us. It's not about being a good church member over the years. It's not about what things we can point to in our life to show, you know, preacher, I'm really not that bad of a person. You don't have to convince me. You have to convince God. If you can convince God that you're really not that bad of a person, then God bless you. But I know what the Bible says about that. If you can try to sit there and justify to yourself, you know, I'm really a pretty good person. Psalm 39.5 says, Verily every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. Think about that. In our best state, we're nothing. The reason I know that a message like this is for a Wednesday night independent Baptist crowd is because the most common testimony of those who grow up in our stripe is how at one time in their life they trusted in their righteousness to save them. We just heard Brother Steve Perkins say that when he was here. His testimony was, I trusted. And I wonder if anyone here tonight can relate to Paul's testimony. Maybe you can sit there and you can say, I have whereof I can boast in my flesh more than that person. I'm not as bad as that one. Maybe you've been in church from birth. Maybe your parents were Christians. Maybe your daddy was a preacher. Maybe you're a good Baptist and the child of a Baptist. You hear what I'm saying? This is what Paul would be saying had he grown up in our church. Maybe you've had the right upbringing, you've had the right schooling, and maybe you can say, you know, I'm not only a Baptist, but... I'm in that strict sect of Baptists they call independent Baptist. I'm in that group who thinks it's funny that the preacher would get up and wear skinny jeans to preach in. Come on now. I'm in that sect that is strict. We sing hymns. We don't have a praise band. We still use a book that's 400 years old. Strict. Dotting our I's, crossing our T's. Maybe you even have portions of the Word of God memorized. Maybe you have zealously served and attended church. Maybe you always viewed your works as proof of your righteousness. Perhaps you are even blameless before others in that no one would ever suspect that you're lost. Deep down, you know you're on your way to a devil's hell because you've never fully trusted in Christ alone to save you. Maybe you've never admitted who you are really apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Why won't you humble yourselves? Why won't you just admit that you've been trusting in nothing more than dung? That it stinks in the nostrils of God. Isaiah 64, 6, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. If you're here on a Wednesday night, you likely know all the right things to say. This is the hardest thing about dealing with independent Baptist children. Hey, darling, can you tell me why Christ came? He came to die for my sins. And I'm not mocking that. I think those are important steps. They know what to say. But we can't see the heart. You know how to check the boxes and you look the part outwardly. You're clean and beautiful, but you know inwardly you're dead and dirty. Stop playing games with God. He knows your heart. 
He's your judge. Therefore, it doesn't matter what I think or what anybody else thinks. Are you right with God tonight? Do you know God and does God know you? John 17, 3, And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. Do you know Him? Do you trust your heritage, your upbringing, your schooling, your religious observances? Would you be real with God tonight? Is there someone here who needs to count it all loss that you might win Christ? Don't go to hell because you're too prideful about what others may think. I can tell you that nobody here would make fun of you. I'll, I'll bet you a large portion tonight can tell you how they had a profession of faith before they really got saved. I'm in that group. My daddy was a, my pastor. I know what it's like to have the right pedigree and to check the right boxes and to look the part, but I know what it is to not have a relationship with Christ at the same time. No, we won't make fun of you. We'll rejoice along with the angels in heaven that a sinner's come home. That you've stopped putting confidence in your flesh and that you've put your confidence in Christ alone for salvation. Now we got to go. I'm just going to close by reading verse 9. Would you look at this? And be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Will you be found in Him? If Christ comes tonight, would you be found in Him? God calls you home through death, would you be found in Him? Many, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, have we not done many wonderful works? Have we not cast out demons in Your name? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. We're going to pray, and you're going to bear with me. We're going to have a, an invitation. If anybody's playing games tonight, and you know you're not saved, you need to get that settled tonight. Let's pray.